0: Let's reopen our Bibles to Psalm 22. It is my prayer that for every one of you faithful that have been born again by the spirit of the living God and that are his children will draw nigh and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ this morning again. And that we might have sweet fellowship with him as we consider what he did on the cross for us and what glorious blessings he obtained for us there and has blessed us with in the gospel. Our verses that we memorized last Lord's Day and throughout the past week were Galatians six fourteen. but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. God forbid that we should glory in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you can find glory in other things to exceed the cross of Jesus Christ and so that you find a a reconsideration of his cross painful and boring, it is a horrible statement about your soul. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.2, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so your pastor has determined this morning to present Jesus Christ and him crucified to you again. I want you to come to grips with him and embrace him. I opened the service this morning with Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear and will open that door, I will come into him and sup with him. That is not a salvation text like it is abused in so many places. That is an offer and a promise to his people, right,
1: right.
0: the church, in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 of Laodicea, that they might open to him and have fellowship, which they were lacking in that church. They were a lukewarm church because they weren't having the fellowship with Jesus Christ. There is no psalm that can excel Psalm 22. You might find a few Messianic psalms to compare with it, but not to excel it. Right. Do you meditate in the psalms? Do you meditate on the messianic psalms? When we use that word messianic, we mean the psalms that describe the Messiah. The psalms that describe Jesus Christ, that prophesy of him. Do you meditate on them? Do you sing them? We shall sing this one tonight. What of Psalm 22? Do you love Psalm 22? Are you able to look at Psalm 22 and read it? And look at reading it and consider reading it as if you were opening a honeycomb? And every verse that you take apart and every word within those verses is like the sweetness of a honeycomb to your taste? If not, my brethren, it condemns our souls and the state of our hearts, for we should love it. It is sweet to us. It should be. This psalm is definitely about the Lord Jesus Christ from beginning to end. Four times it is quoted or referred to in the New Testament accounts of what happened to Jesus on the cross, from the first verse to the eighth verse to the 18th verse to the 22nd verse, it's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Some you might have difficulty seeing the fulfillment in Christ. This one, there is no difficulty. It is pure pleasantness. It is pure pleasure of looking at what Jesus did for us. If your heart is cold this morning and you are thinking, oh no, Psalm 22. Here we go again. Can't we ever get off? Oh, brethren, something's wrong with your heart. Either it's never been right, or you've allowed too much of the world to come into it this past week, or you're too tired this morning and you haven't prepared yourself for this worship. You would not doze in the presence of your boss, and your boss compared to the Lord Jesus Christ is a despicable snake. I want to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. This psalm is in the first person. Jesus Christ telling us from his heart, by the Holy Spirit of prophecy, what it was like to hang on the cross of Calvary. I cannot exhaust every verse of its sweetness, or we would... Maybe I should, but it is not my plan for this morning because I want you to see the beautiful picture. I don't want you to forget the last third that is so glorious and brethren, the song we're going to sing at the end of the service this morning will be different than the two we just sang. The two we just sang describe the first two-thirds of this psalm, and the one we're going to sing describes what should flow from that. Amen. Because my Savior is no longer begging for God to come and help him right. because his God did come and help him, and he wanted to praise and profess that God in the great congregation. And all the nations of the earth, which includes us, have turned unto him, and we are his seed. The Lord hath done this, and we should rejoice and be glad. This psalm can be divided. If you look at it, I almost want you to feel the pages and look at them and have them burn into your brain, your memory, your hearts, where these words are located. But these 31 verses can first be divided into two sections. A section of his grief on the cross that runs down through verse 21, and then verses 22 through the end of the chapter that describe his victory and the blessings of the gospel as we learn about what happened at the cross of Calvary and how all of his elect shall be saved with an everlasting consolation. So the first 21 verses are a description of his grief and then verses 22 through 31 are of his victory and how the Lord's blessing upon him and upon us as his seed. The transition actually takes place in the middle of the 21st verse. Notice the first half of the 21st verse is, Save me from the lion's mouth. That is a prayer. Because to this point, God has not heard him or delivered him. And yet, look at the second half of that verse. For thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. And right there we have a transition from grief to blessing. From destruction to deliverance, from judgment and punishment to salvation, because it then says in verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren, because he has been heard and delivered by his God. That's if we divide the psalm twice. We can also divide the psalm three ways. If we look at the first 10 verses, they describe Jesus Christ appealing to God that he trusts him And why isn't he delivering him? Because he always delivered his people. It's the Lord Jesus Christ appealing to his great faith and trust in his God. There has never been a man that has had the faith like the Lord Jesus Christ. Never. He trusted in God from his mother's breast, as we're going to read. He always put his trust in God. He always pleased his father. His father would say of him, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and the son would say of his father, I always did those things that please him. He always trusted in God. The Bible declares that of him and his enemies knew that, that at every turn, if he broke bread, he blessed God. If he was baptized, even though he didn't need a baptism, it was to fulfill all righteousness. He always spoke of God and his trust was in God. And we see that in the first 10 verses, that is his appeal. Then verses 11 down through 21 are his description of what's happening to him on the cross. So we have that for the second section. And then the third section again comes back to the blessing that we have. Now, brethren, we are in bodies of clay with an old nature. Death is the best thing that can happen to us to get rid of this body and this flesh. Because this body and this flesh hate what I'm telling you right now,
1: right. Mm-hmm.
0: the world out there with all of its activities, even the new, even what we call neutral or innocent activities, steal our hearts and our affections away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this is spiritual, and it is only per- discerned and perceived by the spiritual man. That's right. And this morning, I beg you, in your hearts, to ask God to forgive you for being negligent of His Word and of His Son, and to pray that by His Spirit He'll revive your hearts to love His Son. Amen. And, I, and I don't want to take that long. I want to give you the picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot leave Psalm 22. I have spent many, many, many hours in Psalm 22 over the last number of weeks, and I have sung it more times than you have sung any psalm or combination of psalms in your life. And we will sing it again tonight. I have rewritten the Psalter for Psalm 22 to make it as close as possible to the words of our King James Bible. So that maybe you can enjoy it a little more as we sing it. This is a test of our souls, brethren. If we don't like Psalm 22, we have a problem.
1: Right.
0: I have a problem. You have a problem. And when we feel that problem and, and we feel that flesh rising up against Psalm 22 humble yourself and repudiate that flesh and beg God for mercy and he'll come to you and teach you the glory of what we have here. This is what this world was created for, for the presentation and exaltation of God's grace and judgment in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his tender son and he's lifted up in this psalm like no other psalm. Let's take the honeycomb into our hands. Verse 1, my God, my God. No man ever trusted in God like the Lord Jesus Christ. God was his God from his mother's belly. He always trusted in God. And here he cries out, my God, my God, as he had cried so many times before. But this time he is not heard. The Savior would say of himself that my father always hears me. And yet this time he is not heard. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Brethren, our Lord Jesus Christ was God and man. We call that the incarnation. Those words are not in the Bible. The words in the Bible are, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The words in the Bible are, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten, of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible would say his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I don't like using words that aren't in the Bible, but sometimes we use them, incarnation means God becoming flesh and dwelling among us as a man. That union between his divine nature and his human nature was never separated. So while he hung on the cross, he was still the God-man. But in what way was he separated from God so that he would say, why hast thou forsaken me? The comforting, fellowship, and loving presence of God was taken away from him because he had our sins upon him. And so God turned his back on him because God cannot look approvingly upon sin. And yet the divine word, the divine nature of Jesus Christ was still with him, supporting him so that the judgment and punishment he took was of an infinite value. And yet the personal relationship with God he had always had, even while on his mother's breast, was violated and was torn asunder by our sins. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He'd never been forsaken by his God. God never forsook his only beloved son. But he did while he was hanging on the cross. And you know where these words come from, but from the 27th chapter of Matthew and the 15th chapter of Mark. This is what Jesus Christ actually said word for word while hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who had a relationship with God like no other, of constant bliss, love, joy, and peace, it was torn asunder, for you and for me. Why hast thou forsaken me? Because God withdrew fellowship from him. This is the first time that Jesus Christ had ever felt any degree of guilt, shame, or fear as our sins were put upon him and God turned his back on him. And well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in. When Jesus Christ took our sins upon him, right. God turned the back of his sun, sunny rays from his son, and so did the sun itself shut down its rays so that the earth was dark. God will surely come with help, though, for this Savior of ours. While in this first verse he says, why hast thou forsaken me, and why art thou so far from the words of my roaring? He will hear, as I just showed you in the 21st verse when he was delivered from the horns of the unicorns. We must remember that Jesus is a man, and so when he hung on the cross, he suffered all the physical torments that we could possibly suffer and more because he was a man. Because he was a man with a human spirit, he could endure and feel all the pains of separation, loss, loneliness, guilt, shame, fear, and reproach that he did, that we could ever feel, and a whole lot more. Right. But he, was a, he is a man. My brethren, Jesus Christ is a man. He came into this world. He was born. He was laid in swaddling clothes. He was laid in a manger. He was nursed by his mother. He grew to be 12 years of age. He was a boy. He had not yet achieved manhood. He then grew to manhood. He was baptized by another man in a river of water. He is a man, and he sits on a throne at this hour with a physical, glorified body. He is a man. That man came to deliver us from the wrath to come and from the wrath that we deserve. And he's roaring in his words of grief and pain and need for God to come and deliver him as he suffers under the wrath of God for our sins. The suffering that he endured was not just the wrath of the Jews and the Romans, it was the wrath of God against our sins because he was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a blessing. What a blessing. This first section, brethren, is an appeal from the Lord Jesus Christ as to the God that answers prayer, why doesn't he answer? And to the fact that Jesus had always trusted in this God, and why wasn't he answering him when he had always trusted in him? He says in the second verse, oh my God, notice the cry of anguish. I cry in the daytime, because he hung on that cross during the daylight hours, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. All night long he was on trial. He spent the first part of the night in the garden of Gethsemane with men already gathered and approaching that garden which he knew full well and could see them in all their gory detail and know their wicked and profane hearts before they ever got there. And it says his prayers that night were so great and so grievous to him that he sweat as it were great drops of blood. He cried in the daytime But God did not hear him, and in the night season he was not silent even then at night. He continued his prayer all night long. He did not sleep at all that night, but thou art holy. He knows this about God. Even though there may be times in the life of Jesus Christ and in our lives where it seems that God is far from us and not hearing our prayers, we should remember that God is holy. That means he is without fault, error or anything that would sully his perfect character, he is ever faithful, and he will hear prayer. Amen. But he is also holy, and Jesus Christ hanging on that cross with our sins upon him was in a legal sense no longer holy. He was unholy, made so by our sins. We just sang in that one song, who was the one that betrayed him? It was our treason that undid the Lord Jesus Christ. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel, I know that thou art perfect in all thy ways, you cannot look upon sin, but I know that thou art faithful and will hear the cry of faith that comes unto thee. He's encouraging himself and he's exhorting God to come to his rescue as the holy God that does hear and answer prayer. He then reminds the Lord God, his father, of the history of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. Remember, there was a whole generation in Egypt that were being put to hard labor to build the pyramids of the pharaohs. And it says their cry came up into heaven. And the Lord heard, and the Lord sent a deliverer named Moses, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and into a land flowing with milk and honey. The Lord had delivered the people of Israel. And here Jesus is in his prayer, and it's an example for us on how to pray but look at how Jesus appealed to the fact you've always answered prayer in the past. Answer it now. Our fathers trusted in Thee. They trusted and Thou didst deliver them. They cried unto Thee and were delivered. They trusted in Thee and were not confounded. They stood at the Red Sea. They feared being confounded, because here they had been delivered from the land of Egypt, They had gone a short distance and now they stood at a great body of water with the Egyptian army approaching behind them. If if the Lord did not deliver them, they would be confounded because what would you deliver a nation of a couple million people for just to kill them in the desert? And they cried unto the Lord, and Moses cried unto the Lord. And did he deliver them? Amen. He opened up the Red Sea for them and they passed through. Their cry was heard. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. When they were hungry, he sent them manna from heaven. When they were thirsty, he opened up a rock. The Savior is reminding God, his Father, that he had always heard and answered prayer. But why not mine? I cry in the daytime, and I cry at night, and you don't hear me. Those were the fathers. He says in verse 6, But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. He was treated like a worm. What creature do you want to pick lower than a worm? Not only because it burrows in the earth, but because it is such a despicable, slimy little creature of God. And the Lord picks that to picture himself, but I am a worm. I'm not the illustrious fathers that were looked up to by that nation. I am despised of the people and reproached of them. His enemies had appeared to have gotten the better of him, hadn't they? Do you know what he looked like on the cross? Did he look like a savior on the cross? Did he look like a deliverer? Did he look like Lord? Did he look like the Messiah of God, the Christ of Israel, hanging on the cross? I'm a worm and no man. There's nothing desirable about me. And isn't that what the Bible testified of him? That when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him? He hath no form nor comeliness. And he's confessing this to God that there's nothing, there's nothing there to earn the respect of any man. They're treating him like dirt, like a worm as they abuse him and reproach him and scorn him and laugh at him and mock him in his trial and on the cross. And he certainly appeared to have been forsaken by God, didn't he? Oh, didn't that give his enemies great joy to see that he appeared to have been forsaken by his God? All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. All of those are expressions you may have read or heard in the Messiah or other pieces of music, but brethren, this is the Word of God. This is Jesus speaking in the first person, describing what it was like for all of those hours in which he was on trial and then on the cross. All that see me laugh me to scorn. Do you know what they did to him in the judgment hall of Pilate? They took his clothes off of him and put a scarlet and purple robe upon him, which would be the colors of a king, the king of the Romans especially, or a king among the Romans and they put a crown of thorns that they plaited together with their own hands, and drove it into his head, and gave him a reed in his hand that would look like a scepter. And they mocked him, the whole band of soldiers, those that were specifically assigned by Pilate to crucify him, went and got the rest of the band of the soldiers in that particular garrison, and brought them all together, and they mocked him as a king, and smote him in the face, and blindfolded him, and made him guess as to who might have hit him last all they that see me laugh me to scorn. And they say, hail king of the Jews. He certainly didn't look like a king, did he? He looked like a worm and no man. And they mangled his face and they scourged his back and they put a crown of thorns upon his head and drove it into his scalp so that blood ran down freely. And they made fun of him and they shoot out the lip with arrogant, profane wickedness as they made fun and ridicule our Lord Jesus Christ. They shoot out the lip. They were quick to speak things that should never have been spoken against the beloved son of God who was laying down his life for us. And brethren, he went as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before her shears is dumb, that means quiet. He opened not his mouth. I think you and I would have opened our mouths. I think I might have had a little prayer for 12 legions of angels, but he went quietly while they made fun of him, and he was the Lord of glory. This is Jesus Christ describing it. This is not the prophet describing it. This is Jesus Christ in the first person by the spirit of prophecy telling us what it was like, all they that see me, laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. They're making fun of his faith in God because God is not rescuing him immediately. And because the rescue is not immediate, the poor little short-sightedness of mankind is so profane and wicked. It tries to believe, and it does believe in the hearts of unregenerate men that there is no help for him in God. And so they make fun of the trust that he had put in God for 33 and a half years. He always trusted God. Go look at any event in his life. He trusted in God. They make fun of his faith. And there he is, his prayers are not being answered, thou hearest me not. The words of my roaring are being passed over. You do not hear me. And they're making fun of my faith. The fathers of Israel trusted in thee and they were always delivered. Why am I not being delivered? But do you want to see how strong his faith was? But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Whenever you think that your circumstances and your life is falling apart around you, remember this, where did you come from? Who formed you in the womb from a few cells? Who caused those cells to divide and multiply until there was the various stages in the gestation of a human baby until at nine months you have a a seven-and-a-half-pound baby fully functioning. Jesus Christ knew where that came from. He said, but thou art he that took me out of the womb. You were the God that created me, brought me into existence, and, brethren, his formation, the womb, was even better than ours, wasn't it? A little better? How about only half of the equation? Right. Since there was only the egg of Mary and the Lord God, and his shadow over her. Thou art he that took me out of the womb. We should always go back to the fact and so many prayers are stated this way. Lord, thou hast created the heavens and the earth and all that in them is. Old Testament and New Testament because the creative power of God is what we're resting on that he didn't create us in vain and he didn't create us to forget us that he is still there for us. And Jesus Christ, though his prayers are not being heard, nor is their deliverance right yet at hand, is still trusting the God that brought him into existence and had kept him for 33 and a half years. Thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. Now we can't say that but Jesus Christ trusted in God on his mother's breast. If you say to me, how could he do that? I'll answer this way. How was John the Baptist filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb and leaped for joy in his own mother's uterus? Right. Jesus Christ was not made inferior to John the Baptist.
1: Right.
0: He was given a measure of the spirit above all others and he trusted in God on his mother's breast from the earliest of ages when he was nursing. He trusted God as his God from his soul. I was cast upon thee from the womb. There was nowhere else to turn. To be cast upon, in in the sense of this verse, there was nowhere else to turn. There was no other help from being born of the womb. There was only one God and one helper, one strength, one guide, one rock, one stay, one pavilion, one shield, one high tower. Only one place for me to turn And I cast myself upon that one place, that one being, that one person, my God. I was cast upon thee. From the womb, thou art my God from my mother's belly. From the very beginning, my trust was in thee. From the earliest stages of my life, when I was born, when I was being nursed, I trusted thee. I have always trusted thee. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That ends an appeal to his faith and trust in God. It doesn't end his faith and trust because it never ended. When we speak of being justified by the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, we mean hanging in the darkness for three hours with the devils of hell, surrounding him and gaping upon him and trying to destroy him, and the Jews and the Romans trying to destroy him, and the wrath of God being poured out upon him and being bruised by his Father. He yet trusted. He yet trusted in God, but now he starts to describe what it was like to hang on that cross. You know, when you read Matthew, you've got Matthew's words in the third person about Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. But I just want you to appreciate Psalm 22 for what it gives us. This is God chose to express this psalm in the first person. He has been trusting God all of his life. God is not hearing his prayers, but he says in this 11th verse, but be not far from me. For trouble is near, for there is none to help. All I can do is read words to you and use other words to help give them a sense. God, the Holy Spirit, has to give you a heart and a spirit to love words like this. That is the cry of a desperate man who has faith and trust in God. Be not far from me. Be not far from me. Don't go far away. Don't leave me. For trouble is near. It was all around him. And there was trouble that we cannot even see looking in the Gospels. The trouble of principalities and powers that were beyond sight. And the wrath of God that is little described in the Gospels. For we see there the physical torments of Jesus Christ, but Jesus suffered under all the weight of all the different aspects of his crucifixion and judgment by God. Don't leave me. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there was none to help. Where were his disciples? Gone. Where were the thousands that he had healed and fed? Gone. Where were the angels? Gone, because this transaction was between the mediator and God. There was none to help. That is a sad verse, brethren. And until you understand the sadness and the grief of verse 11, how will you appreciate the glory of the last ten? You say, I want, to, I want to appreciate that verse more. Then, brethren, read it. Read it every day. Pray about it. Meditate upon it and sing it. I know one thing that God does want to do, and I don't have to worry about it, be, whether it's his will or not. He wants to glorify his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you are seeking to know more about Jesus Christ and to, and to have the sweetness of verses like this brought to your taste, then pray for it and he will give it. His description goes on. That verse 11, introducing his description of his anguish and grief and fear, when he says, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Then he says, many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. I want you to notice a couple things from this verse. Bulls, a bull is a very strong animal. A bull is a very dim-witted animal. A bull is a very vicious animal. A bull is a dangerous animal. We live in such a sterilized, sanitized, effeminate society, I say the word bull, and nobody even knows what I'm talking about. Well, let me tell you about it, just a little tiny bit, little tiny bit. Yesterday, they had the running of the bulls in Pamplano, Spain. There's a certain street in which all the fools that have money to travel, go to Pamplano, Spain, and get in a certain street that's made of cobblestones. And they let six bulls out that go running down that street with all of these fools leaping for whatever protection they can get. And yesterday, the bulls won. Right. And I enjoyed reading about it so much. Because if you want to tempt God, then you should be excited about the consequences. They gored three of them, the running of the bulls. It's in the news. You can go get pictures of these bulls with their jaws gaping wide open and saliva and slobber dangling to the ground and their eyes that give the indica- indicate that there's no intelligence at all between their horns. And all they do is come ripping down that, that alleyway, that street, looking for whatever piece of flesh they can get a horn through and throw it.
1: Right.
0: That is a bull. bation. Bashan was territory on the east side of the Jordan River where the half-tribe of Manasseh settled, not in Canaan, but on the other side where there was a king named Og, king of Bashan. He slept in a bed. It says he was the last of the giants. All I know is he slept in a bed that was nine cubits long. That's 13 and a half feet. He may have been Goliath's bigger cousin. Right. 13 feet long, Og, king of Bashan and the Lord destroyed him. But Bashan is known throughout the Bible. Ezekiel, Amos, tell us about the cattle and the oxen and the bulls of Bashan. They were large and ferocious. And so here we have a picture for us that there are many bulls and they're strong bulls of Bashan. And I want you to notice the second thing from this verse. They are, they have compassed me to compass. Do you know what a compass is? What is a compass for? You buy it in school packages. What does a compass do? It draws circles. Because the bulls compassed him all around, there was no place to run or hide. He was circled for 24 hours. When he was on trial, he was circled. When he was being scourged, he was circled. When he was being ridiculed, he was circled. When he was hanging on the cross, he was circled. He was compassed, and the Holy Spirit tells us further that he was beset me round all the way around. Have you ever been? No, you haven't. Have I ever been? No, I haven't. In the middle of an angry mob, where the mob wants you from every side, because no matter where you turn, there are strong bulls that want to devour and gore you. This is the picture that Jesus Christ expresses in the first person. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths, hanging wide open. To gape is to have it hanging wide open. And if you've ever seen a bull, there's slobber running everywhere as those mouths gape open. They gaped upon me with their mouths. And here's a further description as a ravening and a roaring lion. You've seen lions open their mouths and you can imagine. That circus trainers can stick their heads in there because they open with such an angle? It's unbelievable. In a circle around our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, Be not far from me, for trouble is near. Do the words mean anything to you? As he gives us the word pictures in our language. For there is none to help. Surrounded by bulls that look men men that were like bulls. The Jews and the Romans. Hitting him. Hating him. Mocking him. Ridiculing him despising him, because the plurality of verses 12 and 13, we understand this about the Jews and the Romans. When I come to verse 14, I am poured out like water. I am poured out like water. There is no strength left in me. I am poured out like water. There's nothing left. His blood was gone. He had bled all day, bled all night, scourging, crown of thorns, holes through parts of his body, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. You suspend body weight from hands and feet on a cross in the air that has been, you have been nailed to it on the ground and then it has been set in its place and with the jar it tears your joints and as you hang there trying to push down with your feet in order to get your diaphragm open enough to get air into it for several hours. As you hang there, you are slowly pulled apart. Your joints are pulled apart. And Jesus Christ says in the first person, all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. Now, how solid of a thing is wax? It comes near the heat, and it turns to liquid. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. The strength of a heart of purposing to fight, to resist, to take the pain to endure is gone. He is poured out like water. His heart is melted. There is no more strength in him. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, like a broken piece of pottery is all my strength. He was once a carpenter. There is no strength left. And my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. He can't get his tongue away from the roof of his mouth because there's no moisture in him. He is entirely dehydrated. So that we would come to John chapter 19 and verse 28, and he would say, I thirst, and he speaks of God, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. I can feel and see death coming. You have brought me into the dust of it. I am dried up. My strength is gone. I am poured out like water. There is no moisture left in me, no health, no vitality. I am dying. He says in verse 16, for dogs have compassed me. Again, I want you to notice the word compass. Dogs have encircled me. If you've ever looked at wild dogs and the way they take an animal on because they are so fearful that they can't do it themselves, they always have to do it in a mob, and they always have to do it in a circle. And they will wear out almost any creature that God has made. A lion can be taken by enough hyenas. I love to see the battlefield after it's all over because there's usually 20 hyenas there that aren't going to move again. But those laughing, foolish, wicked, profane animals that God made called hyenas, which are a breed of dog, like a dog, can take down a lion. Jesus Christ is describing his situation as being surrounded by a pack of wild dogs. For dogs have compassed me the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. There he is again, all closed in. You can't get away. You know, when someone's coming from one direction, you can run and flee, but there's no running when you're surrounded. They pierced my hands and my feet. When we read about dogs, I want you to know that not only did the Lord Jesus here say it, but he said it in Matthew 7, 6, give not that which is holy unto dogs. Wicked men who have no love of truth nor, of, nor fear of God who will take what you give them and despise it and turn it against you. There are people like that in the world. There's lots of them. Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3 beware of dogs. John would say in the book of Revelation that on the outside of the great city which is the church of Jesus Christ without our Dogs, wild animals with no regard in a circle, in a mob around the Lord Jesus Christ. They've enclosed me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. Notice the first person they pierced my hands and my feet. These dogs did. I may tell all my bones. He can speak to his body, he can tell all of his bones they, that is not the bones, that is the dogs around him, they look and stare upon me. If you will go back to the account in the gospels, those wicked Jews and Romans sat around and watched and walked around and wagged their heads and watched him. He has been stripped naked so that we have in the next verse a description of what he means in the 17th he says in the 18th, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture." They took his undergarments and either tore them or divided them so that four different soldiers could have parts of them. So all of his undergarments were taken away with the soldiers and his vesture, which was his coat, was sewn without a seam from top to bottom. They cast lots for it. they gambled for it. They took all of his clothes. They stripped him naked and put him upon that cross in such a distended, uncomfortable position in front of them. And they stood there and watched and made fun of him in his nakedness so that he could say to his bones, they're looking and staring upon me. Instead of hating those that sent him on his way, instead of hating those that crucified him alone, let us make sure that we hate the traitor that committed the treason against him that caused this death of his, and that is our sin. That is our sins. We sent him to the cross. We just sang it a few minutes ago. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. This verse is fulfilled completely, perfectly, and we're told so in the New Testament where it says that it might be fulfilled, which was written of him in Psalm 22. That's why, verse 17, I may tell all my bones, they, that they is not referring to the bones, it's referring to the dogs of the wicked men around him. They look and stare upon me. There's no protection of clothing. You know, it's one thing if you were standing naked, you could at least cover yourself up a little bit, but he's not, and so he says, I can tell all my bones that they're staring at me. And he says again in verse 19, but be not thou far from me, O Lord. Haven't we heard those words already? In verse 11, but be not thou far from me, O Lord. Don't go, don't leave me. We hear the Savior say, "O my strength. You've always been my strength. Thou art the strength of all that trust in thee. Haste thee to help me. Hurry. Can you hear our Lord Jesus asking for God to hurry, to come to his help? Deliver my soul from the sword, describing the physical punishment, though we don't read of a particular sword used. Sword is used to describe physical punishment of any sort. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, which is a word of tender description of the spirit and soul of the Lord Jesus Christ. Deliver my darling from the power of the dog. Deliver my soul. My spirit, the essence of our being, the tenderest part of us is not our bodies. It's our soul and our spirit. And he's praying for deliverance here from the power of the dog. It's no longer dogs and it's no longer bulls in plural. It's the power of the dog. And brethren, I trust our Bibles, the great dog. And I like the name that God gave him from the anointed cherub. He becomes a dog, but what a dog and what power. And Jesus Christ prays for help, for deliverance of his soul from the power of the dog that is coming to destroy his faith. Have you ever picked up the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the wicked? Have you ever picked up the shield of faith and tried to lay hold on some promises of God to take away the darts that Satan is throwing at your mind to doubt the word of God? Right. Are you following me? Do you think there were any darts thrown at the Lord Jesus Christ when the sun went dark and God had forsaken him? What kind of, save me from my soul, my spirit. Save me from the power of this dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. Who walks about as a roaring lion but Satan. Save me from the lion's mouth for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. And, O oh, brethren, we've got to verse 21. We've got to verse 21. He hung on that cross. His tongue cleaved to his jaws. He was brought into the dust of death. Bulls compassed him about and gaped upon him with mouths like lions. The power of the dog was there, attempting to destroy his soul and devour his darling. But my God and your God heard his prayer because he had paid the price for our sins. He had hung there long enough that in the the legal estimation of God, our sins had been paid for because with an infinite sacrifice, it only takes a short period of time to pay the infinite price that God's justice demanded. And so God did hear his prayer. And brethren, it says, thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. Now we've got rhinoceroses around him, with their singular horns, which is an animal as dumb as the bull, but with one notable horn between its eyes, a ferocious animal, a huge animal, far more severe than a bull. And yet look what the Savior has to say in the second half of the 21st verse, thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. And so what does the Savior say? We're moving out of the first 21 verses in which he has been crucified and paid the price for our sins as he hung there in torment and loneliness on the cross of Calvary. He says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. You have delivered me. I will praise you before all my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Hold, I I didn't want to turn you very many times, but hold here and come over to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus Christ says in the first person in verse 22 of Psalm 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Jesus Christ here is speaking of wanting to bless God and to honor him before his brethren in a great church. We come to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 11. And Paul says, For both he that sanctifieth Jesus and they who are sanctified us are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. The purpose for the quote here from Psalm 22 is the word brethren. We are the brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ because we're all of one. Blood is thicker than blood. We've been bought by the precious blood of Christ and we are in one body, the body of Christ. We are his brethren. Amen. We are his family. We are his seed. We are his children. We are his bride. We are his. We're all of one. He's redeemed us. And it says that he would praise him in the church. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30 tells us that after the Lord's supper, they sang a hymn and went out. Matthew 26 30. Do you think when Jesus Christ appeared in the first day of the week after his resurrection that they just talked about fishing prospects? Nope. Do you think when he appeared the eighth day after his resurrection again on the first day of the week that they talked about fishing prospects? Do you think for those 40 days what did Jesus talk about? It says he spoke of things concerning the kingdom of God. He blessed God. I will praise thee, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation, will I praise thee. And the Lord Jesus Christ did that. He appeared first of all to Mary Magdalene, then to Simon Peter, then to the rest of the eleven. And he spoke to them and comforted them and, and praised God in the midst of his congregation. Verse 23, brethren, revive yourselves, lift up your hearts. Ye that fear the Lord praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel, the true Israel of God. Where are you? Stand up and be counted. Let your hearts lift up the Lord. Praise him. God has heard the cry of his anointed and delivered him from his crucifixion and death and raised him up again. He's delivered him. He paid the penalty and And the price, and laid down his life for us, and God has rescued him. Praise him, glorify him, fear him, all ye, the seed of Israel, the true Israel of God. For God, he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him, and we can say altogether or finally. But when he cried unto him, he heard. He may have turned his back on him for a short while, for our sins to be judged by his righteous judgment. But then he heard, and he delivered the Lord Jesus Christ, yea, from the power of the grave. Don't we sing a song? He tore the bars away. Amen. Wow. He tore the bars away. Yes, God heard him. Heaven and earth shook, brethren. When Jesus Christ gave up the ghost, the sun was darkened, and there was an earthquake, and the graves were open. The power of his death his death, the power of his death was indicated by other people being resurrected at the same right. time. Now that is a glorious deliverance. Right. Praise him, glorify him, fear him. Yeah. Oh, I better hear it from you when we, when we sing in just a few minutes. Don't you let me down this morning, and don't you let down the Lord Jesus Christ this Amen. morning. Fear him. He has done this for us. God did not despise nor abhor the affliction of his afflicted. He didn't hide his face from him altogether or finally, but when he cried, he heard, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. Those that fear him are believers. Jesus Christ said, I will pay my vows before them. His promises of perpetual fidelity to God. He would pay those vows and come and worship before him and declare his name unto the brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. He did it. He did it. As he assembled among, doesn't the Bible tell us that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once? Do you know what kind of a worship service they had when above 500 brethren came together and the risen Lord Jesus Christ was there? Yeah, that had been a service. That had been a service. This is telling us what the service was like. See, we're not told very much in the New Testament, but we're told right here. He paid his vows and he praised the name of his God before the great congregation. And you know what, he's still doing it before the general assembly. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. That is the elect of God, you and me. We better be meek. That's the character of the elect. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They will hear these things, partake of them, and be satisfied and content and rejoice in the meal, the gospel meal of the news of Jesus Christ. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Simeon sought him. Cornelius sought him. And they found him, and they praised the Lord. Simeon, when he lifted up the young child Jesus in Luke chapter 2, he had been seeking him all his life. And the Lord had told him, I'll not let you die until you've seen your Savior And he saw him they shall praise the lord that seek him all those that have sought for a savior have found the lord jesus christ to be more than sufficient a satisfying savior a complete savior a total savior a glorious savior your heart shall live forever that heart that sometimes is plagued down by sin and guilt and shame that heart that is sometimes discouraged and doubtful that heart shall live forever How can it live forever? Because there's a Savior, Jesus, that died for those souls and hearts. They shall live forever. Not only live forever in heaven, but live forever in faith that has been secured for them by the faith of the Son of God. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And here we are, far away, not even the same son of Noah, Here we, Gentiles, here in America, all the ends of the earth. Do you know what North American continent must have been like to someone living in them? All the ends of the earth shall turn unto the Lord, and they'll remember. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. The family of God that is going to be brought together by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ would include those from every tongue, tribe, nation, family on earth. This is a prophecy of the blessing that has come to us for, he is, for the kingdom is the Lord's. It's no longer a Greek kingdom, a Babylonian kingdom, a Persian kingdom, or a Roman kingdom. The kingdom is the Lord's. Amen. And he is the governor among the nations. Jesus Christ is Lord of lords and King of kings over all kingdoms of the earth. And so he has worked his great work and brought citizens out of this nation called the United States of America. He has brought citizens out into his kingdom and translated us from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom and we are his. And, And all the ends of the earth shall turn and remember what Jesus Christ did for us and praise him and glorify him and fear him, all ye seed of Israel. All they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All those that have had a wonderful, blessed life, the rich, the prosperous, the favored. This is what's being described here in this 29th verse. All they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. The rich shall find consolation in Christ they never found in riches. The prosperous kings have humbled themselves before Jesus Christ of Nazareth and confessed his name. Kings and the rich shall humble and eat. And, be, and worship when they hear the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him. Here's another category of worshiper, the opposite end of the spectrum, the poor, those that have never been favored, that are always down low in the dust. They too shall bow before him. They'll be worshiping him. And none can keep alive his own soul, because only God can do that. All right. And so they cannot keep alive their own souls though they be poor or though they be rich. Their souls are kept alive. Remember, their heart shall live forever. Their souls shall be kept alive by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and his great work for us on the cross. And so when those people find a savior that can keep their souls alive forevermore, it doesn't matter whether you're poor or rich, you eat and partake of that blessing and worship and bow yourself before him. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. Jesus Christ has his children. He has his brethren. He has his family. This section of his family is having a family union today. We come together in an assembly like this to worship together because we are all blood-bought children of the Lord Jesus Christ. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation this these are his children and it's counted by the lord as his family this word generation is not talking about 40 years it's talking about a progeny a family descendants we are his descendants and his family and it's accounted to the lord as the family of the lord jesus christ a seed not all will serve the lord jesus christ but those that do are his family the family of god the household of faith. The household of God, as it's described in the New Testament, they shall come. This seed, this family, they shall come and shall declare His righteousness unto a people that shall be born. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, "The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also." And there have been there has been a perpetual succession of ministers that have come and told us about the righteousness of God and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and what is the message that they have brought and this is what always ought to be at the top. He hath done this. Amen. Not Bible economics. Not maximizing your marriage. Not civil authority. Not child training. He hath done this. Right Should be the capstone of all that is ever preached. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen. Brethren, those ministers have come and have preached to us the gospel that we might know of the righteousness of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord and what he did for us on the cross and that God has delivered him and made him governor of all the nations. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Can you rejoice and sing to him this morning for
1: Amen. me? Amen. Amen. Let's turn now to hymn number 310. Hymn number 310. And let's all stand in joy as we sing this hymn to our Lord. Hymn number 310. Rejoice, the Lord is king, your Lord. And- Thank
0: Praise Him, glorify Him, and fear Him, all ye house of Israel. Brethren, Psalm 22 is in your Bible as well. It can be read every day. It can be sung. You should meditate upon it and seek the Lord in it and see what He has done for us. We are most blessed to have been told that He hath done this. Let us love Him and serve Him a proper glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ and sin becomes a despicable thing. It's only when we get our eyes off of him. Brethren, seek him. It's my prayer for all of your souls to seek him and find him, that you might have fellowship with him in your hearts. Heavenly Father, to the glory of thy great and glorious Son, we do pray that you would bless what has been done this day to your own honor and glory, and to the profit of our souls. Cause us, O Lord, by your Holy Spirit to remember and to turn unto the Lord, and to seek him. And let all these people know that he that is governor among the nations, he that is Lord of lords and king of kings, he has said, if any man hear my voice and will open that door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. And, O oh Lord, I pray that pastor and people together might have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, yes. like we have never had, That's right. to the glory of your Son, and the praise of your grace. Mm-hmm. For we pray in his name, that most excellent name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.